Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first of a mammoth marathon of four interviews that Jason and I have coming up this evening. Um, we're going to be here for the next four hours, so until about one, half one. Uh, we start with an absolute belter. Uh, we have a great guy called Blake Jamieson on the show this evening to kick us off. Uh, but first off, I am John McKellar of the Glasgow Comets from the Baseball Scotland National League and one half of the uh, Scottish baseball podcast, Ball Caps and Bagpipes. And there's the other half. And I'm Jason Durr, former president and Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer. I'm also the owner of Dugout Classic. So let me tell you, I'm super excited about this. I've been spending the last probably 24 hours freaking out about this interview. Uh, we've got someone huge. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, what's up, guys? Thank you guys both for having me. I'm excited. Uh, my name is Blake Jamison. I'm an artist currently based in New York City. I actually didn't go to art school and uh, didn't even start painting full-time until I was 30. So I've got a little bit different uh, art kind of trajectory compared to, I guess, your average artist, but it's been an awesome five years that I've been painting full-time, primarily working with professional athletes and now working with Tops on Tops 2020 and Negro Leagues Baseball Museum uh, as, you know, how we met. So a lot of exciting things going on. I'm happy to be here and chat about it. That's amazing, man. I really look forward to hearing about that interesting trajectory that your career took. Why don't mm -hmm. you start by telling us about your baseball background specifically? And you mentioned being based in New York City. Did you grow mm -hmm. up playing baseball? Did you grow up with a favorite team? Uh, sure. If so, did you play? What, what level did you play to and what positions did you play? Sure. Uh, honestly, I didn't play a ton of baseball. I My dad had season tickets to Oakland A's. I grew up in Northern California. And so he had season tickets to the A's. And ever since, like, before I could walk, I was going to baseball games. And when I was about four, we moved to Sarasota, Florida. And then they had uh, spring training for the White Sox was very close. And so we saw a lot of spring training games there. Uh, still kind of remained an A's fan and really a Mark McGuire fan throughout my childhood and, and always was idolizing him. It's so fun to watch play. And so now being able to, like, work with Tops and do a card of him was a total dream come true, which is rad. Uh, in terms of playing baseball, I played like t-ball. And then as soon as I like graduated from t-ball to like proper baseball, I was honestly like, I was just too ADD as a kid to like stand around. And so I ended up kind of, uh, I guess, gravitating more towards sports where I could be running constantly. So I played soccer growing up and then I played lacrosse uh, in high school and then I ended up playing lacrosse in college as well. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's been a fun journey. Um, even though I didn't play, I was collecting cards with my dad. We have every single card printed from 1985 to 1995. And for the longest time, my dad was convinced that that was going to pay for my college fund and was always telling my mom, like, you know, she'd say, oh, more baseball cards. And he'd say, don't worry, this is for Blake's college. And so obviously those, those cards were heavily printed. So it didn't pan out exactly like that. But also very cool of my mom is she never threw anything away. And so when I got involved with Tops at the beginning of this year, I, had, I was home uh, to visit with my parents and I found all of those old cards and pulled them out of the garage and it was so much fun to go through and take a trip down memory lane. And now that I'm like, you know, heavy in the card scene, I'm like back in it. Like I've got uh, a very quickly growing PC of cards and it's just uh, glad to be back. Amazing, man. Now, I don't suppose that being in your mid-30s now, you'll have any real memory of the... Uh late 80s Oakland A's uh, World Series winning team, uh, but do you have any favourite memories or games that stick out in your memory from when you were watching those guys growing up? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any memories from when I was in California before we moved to Florida. Uh, I definitely remember some just ridiculous things at spring training. Um, we, we lived very close to the hotel where a lot of players would play. And so like my dad would give, would offer, you know, we'd stay after for autographs, we'd chat with the players and then sometimes he would like offer players uh, rides home. So I can't remember what player it is, but one of my, one of my like early baseball memories is I was sitting in the back seat of coming home from spring training. We're going to drop off the player at, uh, at the hotel. And I started, I, he had his duffel bag and I just started going through it. And I found a pair of like tidy whitey underwear and I like held him up and I'm like, dad, he wears the same underwear as you. And like, he was just mortified. <laughs> so that's like my earliest baseball memory. Um, also when we went to, so then we lived in Florida for almost 10 years and then we moved back to California and my dad and I decided to do a road trip and stop at baseball games, uh, going from Florida to California. And so we watched, uh, we went and saw the Braves play. Uh, we saw St. Louis play and that was cool because Mark was playing and, and like actually remembered us. Cause we had, we had had some pretty cool interactions with him even when he was in like the minors and then just called up to the A's. And so he, uh, kind of was aware of us uh, a little bit and he kind of remembered us when we went through St. Louis, which was really cool. And then we also went to a uh, Rockies game, um, which is also like a fun stadium. So yeah. And then since moving to New York, I've been here for two years now. Uh, obviously there's when there was baseball and they were allowing fans to go, I had gone to a couple Yankees games and a couple Mets games. And it's just always a good time just getting out there and paying way too much for a hot dog and beer and <laughs> hanging out with friends. So so we uh, spoke to Mark Donaldson of ESPN, who does a show called Caps Off over here in the UK. It's basically a digestible mm -hmm. uh, This Week in Baseball type show for the mm -hmm. UK audience. And uh, he prefers yeah. City Field to New Yankee Stadium. Would you say that you would echo that sentiment? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, what I've heard a lot from fellow Yankee fans is that there are a lot of really bizarrely and badly restricted views and stuff like that and that the park hasn't really been built with watching a ball game in mind it's all those social media areas and the, the sure. ball and stuff like that rather than yeah. being tailored to watching great baseball uh, which yeah. obviously is the antithesis of what the original stadium uh, represented right. which was you right. know, October baseball was sort of the mystique and all that lived around that um, yeah. it's interesting been, what you say about Sorry. Uh, oh, I was just, just gonna say I, I've been pretty lucky. I've been to quite a few parks, um, and and I'm also lucky that like the one that I have the most fun at is AT and T Park in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, used to be Pac Bell. When they changed the name, I was like convinced I was always gonna call it Pac Bell, but <laughs> I've since <laughs> transferred over. But that that one like being right on the water also is so much fun. Um, and like I said, I mean, I think that like for me, I and maybe it's because like I didn't play baseball and like I, I follow it, but not like religiously. We're like, I, I don't even I don't really have a team that I'm like, you know, diehard got to watch the games. I'm more about like the environment and the fun and the friends. And so like, I don't know, I appreciate a good game, but I also just appreciate the atmosphere and like hanging out with friends and uh, it's a great time. Yeah, just to finish what I was going to say. Um... I think Sorry. the story you told about Mark McGuire and him remembering you guys, I think, mm -hmm. uh, speaks to just why he was so beloved. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a superstar athlete who had a very grounded core and was very centered. And I think that that's, um, I think he is, he's from the Midwest, isn't he? I think it's just got, he kind of epitomizes the, yeah, yeah, that kind of uh, hospitality, I guess, uh, totally. aspect of his character. Um, yeah, but well, that's great. 
Yeah, like so there, there was actually like a very specific story that he remembered why he remembered us. So right. in uh, in 1984, he was on the Olympic team jersey that you're wearing over there. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was, I, I think he had just been called up to the majors with the A's, but like was, you know, unproven. And I think that he just didn't expect a lot of people to know who he was. And we were driving with my parents. I was in the back seat, you know, in a car seat because I was super young. Um, okay, so it wasn't 84. It must have been 80, 86. Uh, 86? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 86. Um, yeah, because I was two, roughly. Anyways, so we're driving and we're in Southern California, which is like eight, eight hours south of the Bay Area where he was playing. And we're driving down the freeway in San Diego. And my parents look over and it's like Mark McGuire in the car next to us. And so they're like honking the horn and like waving at him. Uh, and then they like, my dad takes off his ace hat. They're like waving the ace hat. And so he like, you know, says, oh, cool. Like, you know, waves ace fans. And then we saw him at spring training later that year, which I believe that was in Phoenix, Arizona. And my dad was like, hey, we were the ones that saw you on the freeway when we were in San Diego. And so he's like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, I was really nervous, like being called up if he was even going to like make the final team. And so from then on, he called us the freeway fans. And so now, like at any point, like when we saw him in St. Louis, we're like, hey, we're the freeway fans. Like now I'm, you know, much older than I was in a car seat. So it's really cool that he like remembered that and. And I got to do a painting of Mark McGuire for Tops for the 2020 project. And like, because of my history with him and looking up to him, I told that story on one of my live streams. And coincidentally, I ended up getting coverage by MLB.com about Tops 2020. And they linked to that video. And it was like, Mark was the card that had come out. It also was like on the cover of Beckett that month. So it was like really like making waves. And Mark happened to like see that article and then go and watch the video and then like email me and say like, hey, let's jump on a phone call. And so like now Mark and I are friends, which is amazing. Like yesterday, yesterday was literally his birthday. Amazing. Nice. And, I got the and so, card. So yeah, pull it out. So. Yes. Well, well uh, I mean, belated happy birthday to Mark McGuire, if you ever happen yeah. to see this one. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, a, it, it's just amazing to me to think how nervous he was when you guys first saw him on the freeway and uh, wondering if he was going to be able to stick around and see, know if anyone, you know, would even remember his name in a couple of years after that. And then, of course, as a rookie, and I believe mm -hmm. 1987, he slams mm -hmm. 49 home runs. Yep. <laughs> becomes big magnet, we all know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pass over to Jason, and he's going to delve more into the art side of things, man, and I'll come back toward the end. Great. Thanks, please. Sounds good. Thanks, John. So I'm a big McGuire fan, too. Like, the Mariners sucked when I grew up. And there was nobody there. So, like, when McGuire came around, I was all over McGuire. And we used to have arguments on who was better, McGuire or Will Clark. So, uh, that was the big thing there. Yeah. So, um, obviously, Tops 2020. I'm actually going to – I don't want to touch on that because I think everyone knows you from Tops 2020. But I want to talk about where you got started as artist because when we were on the live stream with Beckett last night, I did not realize that you went into it as an econ and marketing major. So, were you doing art on the side there just to kind of relax? How did that get started? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I always was doing art as a hobby, but it was like really sporadic. And so I remember like in college, for the most part, I would come home to my parents' house for usually like Christmas and Thanksgiving. And it ended up like kind of became this tradition where like every Christmas I'd come home, I'd be home for like a week and I would make something. And sometimes it was a painting. Sometimes it was some other type of art project or, you know, building something. Um, and that was kind of the extent of it, of how much art that I did, like as I guess like a young adult. And 
I had, I had made that choice to like not pursue something that I really loved and, and instead do kind of like marketing and business stuff because I thought that was a more viable and like stable career path and did pretty well in that. It allowed me to be somewhat creative uh, doing digital marketing for various clients where I'd have to like design some graphics or do some copywriting or edit some videos. And so that was fun and creatively stimulating for, for a time, but it was 30th birthday comes around and I'm like, man, I'm, it sucks. Like uh, I'm looking forward to Fridays and I'm dreading Mondays and like, I make good money, but like, what's the point if I'm not like enjoying like 90% of my life, you know, or whatever of my waking life. So I quit that job, not necessarily thinking, okay, I'm going to quit. And then I'm just going to start art full time. It was just that I, I knew I needed to change and I needed to shake things up. And so I left the job and, and then kind of just through like some like self uh, reflection and discovery, I decided that art is something that that's always made me happy. And that, you know, I'm, I would always regret if I didn't at least take a shot at making it my full-time gig. And fortunately now looking back, like there was a time when I was like, shoot, like, you know, now I'm getting such a late start. I didn't go to art school and now I'm like feel behind, but I got such a different education than a lot of other professional artists that did go to art school. Having that marketing background has ended up proving to be probably more valuable to me in my art career than learning technical painting from, you know, an art school. And so I've been really lucky where, you know, the course that my life ended up taking and taking me down this marketing route ended up like putting me in a position to succeed as an artist and be able to like market and sell my work, I think more effectively than sadly than, than a lot of artists. So with you having such a different background from a lot of professional artists when you first got started, um, did you ever encounter any sort of contempt or, or, you know, any difficulties with other artists? Were there ever any artists that you felt had a bit of a chip on their shoulder about you? You know, you've kind of made a quite a name for yourself in a relatively short space of time. And I guess there yeah. would be some of them who did go to art school and, you know, spent yeah. most of their lives working toward that. Um, yeah. Just because you happen to have like a, you know, a knack for something or a talent, did you ever find that there were roadblocks in the way that were put there by people who maybe just didn't feel like you had earned it? Yeah, I think that uh, maybe the traditional art world, whether it be uh, artists or people kind of related tangentially to the art world, had, I think for a while, didn't take me seriously because of my background or lack thereof in like the technical art side of things. Uh, I think I'm past that now where, I don't know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I was hearing, any like negative stuff just was saying, oh, like this is going to be a... It's just like a flavor of the week thing. Like, sure, you're an artist. Okay, we'll see what you're doing next next week. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, you know, that's fair to say. Like, I I hadn't been, I, had, I wasn't an artist. And then all of a sudden I said, okay, I'm an artist and this is what I do. So that's to be expected. I also think that like any artist that has done any work and put it out in the public eye is going to be used to some type of criticism. And I think that if you're not, if you don't have thick enough skin to like, have people not like your work or not like your business or not like your anything like then art's probably not for you anyways. Uh, and you know, and that's totally fine. So I, I knew that going in, I knew that there'd be some resistance. I think in general, I think that the art artist community that I've met has been very inclusive and, and more like positive lifting each other up, which is what I love to see rather than, you know, being, uh, I guess like bitter that I'm like, succeeding as an artist without going the traditional route that maybe other people paid a lot of money and spent a lot of time doing. 
So it's interesting you meet the community. I was going to ask you about this anyways. So how has it been for you to find out there is a sports art community? I know there's always been one out there, but then all of a sudden there's always this sport card community that's really kind of popped up uh, over the last couple of years there. So how how's that been meeting the other artists? I think it's great. Um, I haven't met an artist yet in in the sports card art industry that I don't uh, like vibe with. I think it seems to be, you know, there, it's definitely expanding and there's a lot of artists that I'm not, you know, not familiar with yet. And I'm very excited about the project with the Negro Leagues Museum because it's going to turn me on to so many new artists that I hadn't been aware of. But, you know, it's, it's like a family and everybody, like I said, has been really positive, lifting each other up, supporting each other, whether that's, uh, you know, encouraging each other online or offline in private conversations. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been great. And I think there's kind of like, there's two prongs to the community that I've really like fallen in love with is the art community within like the sports card niche is fantastic. And then also like the hobby community that collects cards. Uh, a lot of them, you know, there are some like purists that don't want to see like classic cards remixed like Project 2020 is doing. But I think in general, like a lot of people appreciate it and it's putting more attention and focus on kind of the crossroads between art and sports, which it really has always existed just in, in a little bit different ways. You know, if you look at like all the old, old baseball cards, they're painted. Um, they're just painted in a way that are like trying to look like a realistic photograph. And now we're bridging that gap away from like hyper-realism uh, in some cases into like pop art and more like interpretive works, which I think is really fun to see. So, how did you get started painting athletes? That's what I'm curious. So I was looking back there and you said you started with a lot of NFL and there was a, there was a moment where you met an agent and he put you out of there. And I think it was, you were, you met Rick Harrison of Pawn Stars and somehow that connected you there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's crazy. I, it's like, there's three works that let three strategic gifts, uh, which has been a part of like me growing my art business a lot, um, especially within the athlete space. So it's basically me identifying a player that I really would like to work with that has a platform that could help elevate my brand. And I offer to do work for them for free in exchange for like basically a shout out. Um, and you know, that some athletes are, are more generous with like the way that they do that. And some are just like Blake did this painting and that's, that's it, which is also fine. So the, the Rick Harrison and Pawn Stars thing, I was in Las Vegas delivering a piece of art to Rick Harrison uh, I had gotten that and that, so that was one of the strategic gifts. I had gotten that one because I did a free piece for Howie Mandel in Los Angeles. Uh, super nice guy, by the way. And it was the same guy like managed uh, Howie and Rick Harrison's YouTube channels. And so after I did this thing with Howie, they went really well. We shot a little skit video that did well. So he's like, okay, let's do uh, Rick Harrison of Pawn Stars. We do that. Go, go, you know, that goes as planned. The, you know, it goes well. Rick's also super nice and also a very big art collector. And then that night I went to this concert, uh, Imagine Dragons concert in Vegas. And one of the guys that kind of helped connect all those dots um, kind of organized it. And he's like, hey, I've got this friend of mine that I really want you to meet. He's an agent uh, or actually a manager for NFL players. He used to work in the NFL, play in the NFL named Jared Faison. And Jared and I hit it off and just like, just the kind of person like you meet and like immediately are like best friends with, like he was just such a cool dude. And he really, he liked my work and he suggested, he said, Hey, you know, I have, I rep some NFL clients. I think that your work would do very well in that 
in that space. And I can introduce you to them. If you do pictures for free for three of my clients, I'll get all of them to promote you like crazy. And so being that strategic gifting was already like kind of part of my marketing strategy anyways, it made a lot of sense. Did those first three players. It was uh, Jaleel Adai, who at the time was on the Chargers, CJ Anderson at the time was on the Broncos and uh, Corey Legit, who also was on the Chargers. And so in those cases, I did the paintings, I delivered, I scheduled it. So like I came down and delivered them in person so I could take some photos with them, uh, you know, record little videos. And that like ultimately was the springboard for me getting into the sports world. I think um, from the marketing side of things, like one thing that separates me from a lot of other artists because of my marketing background is understanding like the need to have like a niche and a focus rather than saying like, I make art for everyone or I make art for myself and then you can like it or not. Like I get that. I, I respect that artistically if people want to do it that way. But from a business standpoint, it's like I make X, like I make this for this type of person. Like that's the type of business that I want to be running. And so before I was in sports, my focus was actually working with startup companies and I was working with a lot of tech companies and I was making office art. And so that was my thing. I was like, I make office art for early stage tech companies that have basically just come out of like a seed round and they're going into a series A, they're upgrading from a co-working space to their own office for the first time. And they want some cool art on the wall. That's going to make them seem like they have like cool culture, a very specific uh, group. And then, and then I know exactly who to go after. And that did very well for me. Um, and it was like coincident, you know, a friend saw that work and was like, Hey, do you want to paint for Howie Mandel? Like, sure. And then he's like, want to paint for Rick? Sure. And then I, and then I get introduced to Jared and like, that was three, about three years ago now. Um, and it's just been, uh, it's been a wild ride, man. It's been awesome. <laughs> it sounds like it. it has been quite a wild ride for you. So, um, I also want to point out one of your strategies to obviously you're helping out the Negro league uh, museum, but, um, I also noticed that you were promoting, um, Lauren Taylor's and her fund mm-hmm. go find me there because I've, I've followed Lauren for a year or two there and so obviously through that so is that one of your part of strategies as well Just yeah I mean I, I think uh, yeah of course I think that like doing uh any type of like good deeds you know ch- charitable contributions or 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 even just like helping out you know people that need it uh has just always been like part of me and like the way that I live my life so it was like you know when I before I was doing art, it's like, okay, I would like volunteer with like the boys and girls club uh, every year and, you know, just do different, like different acts of service that I could do, um, bef- you know, or if I had some extra money that I would be donating to causes that I care about. And so I've tra- like carried that over into my art. And I think that it's, it is, it's not entirely selfless uh, because for example, uh, every year I do an auction with the uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation at their big gala and I'll fly out and I'll do a custom piece uh, and like be up on stage, like with the auctioneer auctioning it. And like, it raises more money than a single painting of mine ever does, um, you know, in a, in a night, which is, which feels really good to, to raise, you know, 15, 20 grand for, for a really good cause in a night. But then it puts me on a stage where I'm in front of a bunch of people that are usually art lovers because they're like these philanthropists tend to have disposable income. And when you have disposable income, art is one of the things that you can kind of flex with. That's like, you can get something that no one else can get. So like, then all of a sudden I'm on a stage in front of like potentially hundreds of like millionaires with an affinity towards art. And they just saw one of my pieces sell for like 15 grand. That puts me in a really good spot as an artist from a business perspective. And and it does lead to other business, not always like directly, but like 
I think there's like, there's definitely the good karma aspect. And then it's strategic for business where like I'm putting, I'm helping get my art in front of uh, the people that I, I really have kind of identified as good customers. So speaking of which, uh, I believe you went your live stream last night and you were asking people to pick the Negro leader that you're going to paint. Was that decided or is that still up in the air here? Uh, it's still up in the air. I think, um, I mean, I get, a, I've got a lot of people telling me Satchel Page, but I just feel like that's going to be very common, um, which, which is fine. I mean, he's, he's a legend uh, and deserves to be honored, but I think just like I had said on the stream last night, like unless I get an overwhelming majority for, for another option, I'm thinking I'm going to do Hank Aaron. Um, but yeah, still open. I mean, I got to decide by like tonight cause I'm going to start painting it, start cutting the stencil tomorrow and Sunday and probably paint it Sunday, Monday. Um, but fortunately I have like this big, beautiful studio. And once I have like, I, I work very well under deadlines. And so yeah, it's it's gonna get done, uh, but I'll I'll hopefully decide by the end of the day today. John, do you want to plug who you want? Yeah, um, my choice would be Buck O'Neill. Uh, I think Buck O'Neill okay. for decades was the living history of the Negro Leagues. Um, he was the first uh, Negro Leaguer that I had any prominent contact with uh, growing up. Uh, I was completely unaware of what the Negro Leagues were until I played the All Star Baseball 2004 video game, which uh -huh. featured like uh, special videos you could unlock with the. Uh, points that you would get from winning games and mm -hmm. one of the one of the series of videos was like an interview uh with uh, buck o'neill telling stories and stuff like, that, like the the story of kill papa, kill papa bell flicking the switch and being in bed before the light would go off and stuff like that and just he was such a warm personality uh, and obviously <laughs> such a vital part of the negro leagues and uh baseball history in general but for me buck o'neill's the, the quintessential kind of poster boy for the negro leagues right on Noted. <laughs> John, yeah. do you want to ask your question? We'll get some cards here because so we got about 10, 15 minutes left. And sure. We'll not take too much of Blake's time. He's, he's got to sure. he's between Hank Aaron and Buck O'Neill now. Of That's course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we like to close all of our interviews with you guys uh, with the same question. And that question is, uh, as an American, as an artist, and as a baseball fan, what do the Negro Leagues mean to you? And uh, how did you come to be involved with the fundraiser? Well, I think honestly, like my, and I, I don't feel like my story is that uncommon, but like my basically finding out about the Negro Leagues was actually through the Negro League Baseball Museum. Uh, and I found out about that through a fellow artist, Greg Kreinler, who just does amazing work. Um, he's just, he's the best. And, and as somebody that I've looked up to for so long. And so it was interesting, it was interesting timing where it was at the beginning or middle of last year of 2019. Uh, he had that big show that he did with like 200 works, I think. And I'd also seen him do work with tops in the past. And so he's also part of the reason why I actually started actively trying to work with tops uh, and coincidentally them doing project 2020 at the same time was like worked out. And so it's just funny how it all works. We're like, then I go down the rabbit hole and I'm, I'm checking out the museum, which I would love to go to uh, at some point in, per you know, in person. Uh, and then that obviously led me to really just discovering more about the Negro leagues itself. Um, uh, you know, I'm, 35. So it's, it was all before my time. And so I hadn't done as much. Uh, I, I wasn't familiar with as much of like baseball's history and, and the Negro League specifically history until I was uh, discovered it through the museum and through Greg's work. Cool. Um, now, uh, we're going to open up our pack of cards just shortly. Before we do, Blake, would you like to plug your social media channels and website? 
Yeah, of course. So my website is just blake.art. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at Blake Jameson. That's the easiest way. If you want to get a, like, if you have a question you want to answer fast, Twitter's the best way. My DMs are open. My mentions are tracked all the time. Uh, Instagram, I'm at Athlete Portraits. And, and then YouTube is probably where I'm most actively putting out content. And that's just Blake Jameson is my name. I stream live every Monday through Friday, 10, 23 p.m. Eastern, painting live in the studio, interviewing other artists. It's always a good time. So wherever people want to contact me, I'm, I try to be available and accessible. Awesome, man. Thank you so, so much for speaking to us today, Blake. Um, I'm going to hand you over to Jason and we're going to open a, a pack of cards. Great. You're completely forgetting to you plug your new thing, your card art that just came out. True. Cardart.com uh, is, is another venture. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's so new that, it, that I, I forget about that, but that's, that's a fun, uh, a fun side venture where I'm basically taking a lot of junk wax era cards, but also some other nicer cards and taking a baseball card, painting on top of it to make it kind of a one of one truly unique card. And right now on cardart.com, it's just my art, my kind of interpretation on the cards but we have it set up so it'll be a platform for other artists to make you know whatever they want to make and be able to sell it so that's that's a very fun and exciting new thing so thank you for reminding me of that yeah no worries i'm excited about it i, I missed the first round of things there and i was looking for the second one before we got on uh, i think i think f dot said he agreed you could go on there and yep. uh, yeah um one thing before we open cards i completely forgot so okay. i was talking to third dan and you guys had a hat off and I ran out of time. And I was oh. going to that off with you. <laughs> yes. It's amazing, man. I love the ace cap, too. <laughs> so I was going to try to do one in a minute, but I uh, no, didn't have time for that. All right. Let me open some cards up with you, and then we'll let you go and get back you'll to it. You'll have to do a hat off with uh, with George. who's coming up shortly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as an ode to Blake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. So Dan's we've got great. seven packs of cards. You get to choose okay. whichever one you like to open, and then we'll talk about any of the players that are there. So okay, got great. Eighty-nine Donners. It's got okay. the okay. The nineteen ninety score, and then it's got okay. that bo the Boba one. Where he's got the the shoulder pads in the back. Ooh, sick. The ninety-one Studio. I don't know if you remember these cards, but these were no. So they're actually like I opened this with Tad. <laughs> they're actually set up in the studio to take these photos. You can see that there. And this is oh the best my card God. That's amazing. <laughs> the cockatoo. That's hilarious. Uh, 92 Pinnacle. Okay. Uh, 92 Donners. And this, this one's got a Cal Ripken Jr. autograph in it. Okay. Uh, 93 Studio. Or I've got 87 Tops, which has the Maguire rookie in it. Oh, dude, I want the 87 Tops. <laughs> Everyone wants 87 Tops. Yeah. I was hoping you would say that one. I, was, I mean, look, the score sounds awesome. The the bow would be fun to pull. The the upper deck with the Griffey rookie would be sick. But I got to go with my boy and and go for that Mark Maguire rookie. So I, I want to say it now. I, I did this with Matthew. Everyone wants to open this. Matthew Lee Rosen made me eat the gum. So I'm going to skip the gum this time, yeah, okay? Don't do that. I will last not Last time, he that. was the last interview of the night. I had some whiskey. I could, you know, wash my mouth out. But yeah, <laughs> I've got three more interviews after this. So. Yeah. We have pulled one of the Maguires. I, uh, I'm, uh, Amazing. Uh, I'm actually sending it to Ermsey. So he's donated cool. to my shop for the fundraiser, so. Very cool. All right. Uh, Dave Stapleton. Okay. Christmas Red Sox. There you go. Sid Green, the Pirates. 
So he was known for, was it 91 World Series when Barry Bonds couldn't throw him out at uh, home plate? Lonnie Smith. Nice. Raphael Belliard. We're not doing too hot here. Mm -mm. Knuckleballer. Charlie Huff. Nice. Well, here we go. We got actually someone we know. We got Pete Rose. Nice. Hey. I like Pete. I love Pete. So are you, what do you think? Should he be in the Hall of Fame or not? I mean, I'm for it, but I, I'm also for Mark McGuire being in the Hall of Fame. That's um, it's like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I get it. <laughs> I get it. But like, to me, like the dude can do no wrong. Um, I also think like it was a different time back then. And like he was uh, kind of ended up being made the example of um, for something that a lot of people, you know, was part of the game, I think for a lot of people, but all of that aside, I get it, whether he's in or not, it doesn't change the fact that like he's an idol and he's also like just a really good dude and now a really good friend. So McGuire, I, I think I could grant you because yes, that was a culture, but Pete Rose, I think it's difficult to make a case for him being in the Hall of Fame. What he did was far more egregious and you know, broke the rules far more. Than, I agree. I agree. I would put Mark in before Pete, but I wouldn't sure. mind if both were in. For it. sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got yeah. Len Matzurik. I've never heard of this guy. Hmm. All right, there we go. The, the gum card, it's completely stuck. Uh, nice. But it's Tommy Lasorda. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> right on. Mm -hmm. Andre Thomas for the Braves. Yeah. This is a Braves rookie card or something like that. Yeah. All right. Gene Walter, who doesn't look like he was happy to be there. <laughs> that was not a good picture for him. <laughs> See. Ken Landro for the Dodgers. Yeah. Nice. Oh, oh, we pulled something. Oh. Nice. So okay, so it's not it's not McGuire, but it's okay. someone big from '87 tops. <sighs> I don't know. All right, you're gonna like this one. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Yeah. Bo. Future nice. stars. That's a good. That's a great card. Yeah. So yeah. that's a, that's pretty awesome. I forgot the Bo was in that one. So yeah. So that's oh, all right. That's a that's a good one. All right, that's we a got... solid pull. <laughs> yeah. So Steve, yeah, Lake. Steve Lake signs Potter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's not got the parrot in this one. You know. All yeah. right. So it's great. The parrot one's awesome. <laughs> Rit Sutcliffe. Got Tigers leaders. Oh, there you go. Sparky's in there. Yeah, we got Sparky Anderson in there. So. Who was it we spoke to and they said they didn't like those leaders cards because of the faded uh, border? Yeah, it's got kind of a funky border. I have to yeah. agree. I don't, I don't particularly like those cards. They're kind of chaotic. Yeah, I do love the wood grain on the on the '87 tops. I think it's awesome. So I didn't. What I didn't realize is I've got a buddy Ethan who uh, who's a big set collector, and he goes, "It's all based off like the 1956 wood grain." And if you start looking back in the sets. Every modern set's based off the older set. And of course, now with Tops, they all do you know, the heritage cards there. But I hadn't actually realized that he pointed out because, hmm. to be honest, I don't have the money to afford a 1956 set. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, two more. Andre okay. Thornton with okay. Canadians. And then we got another uh, steroid user. But, you know, well, let's see. I, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. Nice. 
I like Clemens, man. Like I said, I, I'm with it. It was an era. Like you gotta like just go with it. You know, you can't exclude those guys. So. I have yeah. very fond memories of watching Roger Clemens. Uh, my first year watching, he was like I think 21 and three, or something, right. something crazy like that in 2001. So yeah, got some fond memories of Roger watching one 300 as well as a Yankee. Blake, brilliant. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything. Um, I thank you for the donation for the shop for what I'm running out here. So you, you did donate uh, Willie Mays and the Jackie Robinson card. So mm -hmm. really appreciate mm -hmm. that. Um, we're hoping the fans out in the UK will uh, show you the support for your donation. Great. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo that, Blake. Thanks so much as well for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you virtually yeah, and to speak with you, man. Uh, we'll have to talk sometime again and uh, open some more cards. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, man. Have a good one, Blake. Uh, you too. Stay awesome. Catch you later, man.